Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Sawyer, and I'm our associate pastor here at Arise Church Denver, and it is so great to be with you either here in person or if you're joining us online, uh, welcome, whether you jump on the stream every single week or whether you found this for the first time. Uh, we're so glad that you're joining us from wherever you are as well. This morning, I want to start off with a story. The year was 2000. It was a warm spring day, not here in Denver, but in Phoenix, Arizona. So when I say it was a warm spring day, it was like almost 90 degrees, maybe more. And today was going to be the day that I conquer Desert Storm. And no, not, not the U.S. military action over oil, but the issue at hand was a roller coaster. Now, if you've ever been to Phoenix before, there's, a, there's an amusement park, maybe most similar to Elitch Gardens, in level of, you know, ability and class and maybe safety, but at Castles and Coasters, there was a roller coaster called Desert Storm. We have a picture of it, actually, if you want to jump ahead a little bit, Laura. Desert Storm. Oh, it's over here. The Desert Storm. And Desert Storm was the first roller coaster that I was going to go on that went upside down. Now, I had been on other roller coasters before, but the thought of being upside down in a maybe less than safe roller coaster frightened me deeply. And we had planned this trip in advance. It was going to be me and my dad and, and, and my brother and my mom, and we were all going to go to Castles and Coasters, do some mini golf, but that was going to be the day that I conquer Desert Storm. And throughout the whole week, I had been talking with my dad and looking for encouragement and support and saying, Dad, are, are you sure it's going to be okay? Are you sure I'm going to be safe? Are you sure I'm going to make it through this loop? This is something I've never done before. Is it going to be okay? And as the week progressed and we get closer and closer to the weekend, the Saturday when we were set to go, my nerves started to set in. I got nervous, and then the day finally came, and we're in the car, and I'm like, Dad, one more time. Are you sure, though? Like, I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen. He said, yeah, it's going to be okay. And so I say, hey, let's do this first. Let's get it out of the way. I'm not going to be able to enjoy anything else until we ride this roller coaster. And so we get to the park. We get in the line. And you know what happens, right? Once you actually see the roller coaster that you're going to conquer. I see a couple out there being like, yeah. The couple will be like, no, that is not for me. Your knees start to get maybe get a little wobbly. Your, your palms start to get sweaty. Your voice gets maybe a bit higher and excited. And one more time, right before we the next um, group that's going to go on this roller coaster. I'm like, Dad, okay, final chance. Like, are you sure? He says, yeah, it's going to be okay. And Desert Storm is not a long roller coaster. It's over in like maybe 30, 40 seconds. And I made it. Ooh, I made it. And I made it through the loop-de-loop, and I was like, we got to go again. That was awesome. And now I love roller coasters. I've conquered some of the largest roller coasters in the United States, but it all started in that moment. But why do I bring that up? Because whether we think about it or not, roller coasters are actually a step of faith. They're a step of faith. We have to put our trust and faith not only in the roller coaster itself, but the amusement park, their level of maintenance and safety, the people who design it, those teenagers who are working that summer job that are operating this roller coaster. <laughs> we have to put our faith in a lot of different things to do something as silly as put our life on a line on a roller coaster called Desert Storm. 
But even more than that, from the staunchest atheists to the most sincere believers, we actually all live lives of faith. We do it all the time. If you drove a car here this morning, you did one of the most frightening things that you can possibly do. If you dropped off your kids at school or daycare this week, you put a lot of trust in those people, a lot of faith in those people. If you rode a roller coaster, it's sometime in your life, you are a person of faith. But so many of us don't think about it that way, right? Especially not when it comes to our specific beliefs. If we're a follower of Jesus, for many of us, we think about faith as a moment in time. Maybe a way of living, yes, but we look back and say, that was the moment that I had faith, that I put my faith in Jesus. We look back at a moment, at a time, at a season, but what if we started to live our lives like we already are in every other capacity, with an everyday faith. If you joined us over the past couple weeks, or if you've watched the messages online in this series, Who's In and Who's Out, you may actually be tempted to believe that faith is just about getting you in. It's about getting you into heaven, and once you do that, you check the box, and faith is something that maybe you put on the back burner, maybe it comes up at a couple times in your life, maybe it's a one-day-a-week thing, but once you're in, you're done, Right? This morning, I want to challenge that belief. Whether it's a belief that you actually think about and decide each and every day to be like, yeah, my faith works on Sundays, but when I get to my workplace or when I get to my school, when I'm interacting with those people, we kind of want to put it behind us, right? But I think for most of us, it's not something we actively think about. As we go about our daily lives, as we make decisions, we live as if our faith isn't an everyday thing. And so this morning, I want to challenge each and every one of us, me included, to not think of our faith as just a moment in time or a day of the week, but an everyday thing. Because faith isn't about getting you into heaven someday. It's about how you live your life every day. It's not about getting you to heaven someday, although it is about that, right? But it is more about the daily, moment-by-moment journey of faith that you live out every day. And this morning, as we continue in the book of Luke, as we, as we see this awesome everyday faith of someone who we would not even expect, I want to pull out three descriptions of what that everyday faith looks like. Things that you can hold on to, that you can put into practice to not just leave your faith on a day or in a moment or on the back burner, but to make it an everyday thing. And so this morning, we're jumping into the book of Luke. We've been in the book of Luke for most of, well, the past two years. And we're actually set to finish, believe it or not, right after Easter next year. So we are going to get there. We are going to get there, friends, I promise. But today, We're in Luke 18, starting in verse 35, and it starts off like this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when the crowd heard him going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So what's going on here? So Jesus has been traveling around, and he's slowly, slowly making his way to Jerusalem, And he passes the city of Jericho. If if you're pulling from your Sunday school knowledge, yes, that's the one that the Israelites marched around seven times and the the walls came tumbling down. Yes, same one. 
So they've rebuilt the walls, right? And he's entering Jesus, and Jesus is entering with his disciples. And in, in the first century, what would happen at city walls, at city gates, was a lot of different things. This would be a place where merchants and people traveling would be trading with one another. There would be a lot of commerce happening. There would be people coming, people going. And because of that, this was also a spot where those that didn't have any other options, like this blind man, would sit and they would beg for the people that were walking by. They would try to get assistance. They would, I don't think they were holding up signs in Hebrew, but what they were doing is they were saying, help me, I need your help, have mercy on me. And this man was no different. Because this blind man, likely, this was his day-to-day job. He didn't have any other options. There wasn't social security. There wasn't, like, government assistance. All he had to do to live his regular life to get food, to get money, to maybe pay for a place to live, was to go out and ask for people's help. And so this man, day after day after day, likely through the assistance of others, would be brought to the city gates, and he would ask for assistance. But this day is different, right? This day is different. Because the man starts to hear a great commotion. The crowd is excited And he asks, what's happening? What is going on? And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, is passing by. And we'll see here in a minute that this guy knew Jesus. He had heard the things that had been going on, the amazing miracles that Jesus had been doing, this ability to teach with authority. And he was not going to miss his chance to ask for the assistance of somebody who could maybe change his life. Not just give him food for dinner, but maybe change and transform the course of his life. And so we continue on. In verse 38, after hearing that Jesus is passing by, he calls out. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He shouts at the top of his lungs and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I need your help. This cry for mercy, this humble cry of not even just saying, Jesus, give me a miracle, but he just says, Jesus, see me, have mercy on me. Be compassionate to what I'm going through. Be empathetic that I've lived my entire life unable to see. Jesus, I know that you have the ability to change things. Maybe you can change things for me. And this verse, this humble and bold cry for help, acknowledging that he knows what Jesus can do, but yet he just says, Jesus, I need your help, whatever you want to do. It brings us to our first description of what everyday faith looks like. And it's not letting your position determine your progress. Think about what this man is doing. This man had been somebody who had been outcast from society. In the first century, if you had a physical ailment wrong with you, it was likely that people believed that you had either done something wrong, you've sinned, or maybe that your parents have sinned, or there was something wrong with you. And this man was relegated to the outside of society. He couldn't participate in many of the facets of first century life. He was looked down upon, forgotten, overlooked. 
And yet even knowing all that, even acknowledging where the position that he's in, where he is on the totem pole of society, he does not let that get in the way of Jesus. Because he's heard what Jesus can do, what Jesus can bring about. And he is not going to let his position, his status in society determine what Jesus is calling him to. And maybe for you this morning, this is something that you need to be reminded of. Because even though we may be able to see, even though we have, many of us have jobs and are able to work, we're letting our position or the idea of where people see us determine what God can do. So I have three questions for you. Perhaps for you, it's your past. You feel like the things that you've done or the things that you haven't done or maybe even the things that have been done to you somehow limit you from what God is calling you to. You say, does God really want or care about someone like me? Maybe for you, it's your position or your level of influence or your socioeconomic status. Maybe like this man, it is a disease or a disability that you feel that the opinions of others look down on you because of it. And maybe the question for you, you're asking, could God really use someone like me? Or maybe lastly, maybe it's fears about what would happen, what could happen, if you actually took the bold step of faith and said, God, I'm ready for whatever you have for me. What would God call me to do? Or maybe even stop doing? And so friends, this morning, if we're going to live out of an everyday faith, a faith that isn't just on the back burner or a moment in time, but impacts our way of living each and every day, we have to believe that God can do immeasurably more than we can imagine. Not let the opinions of others or the opinions that we have of ourselves determine our progress of what God is calling us to. Because whether you believe it or not, God has amazing things planned for you, just as he did for this man. And so our account continues on. And in verse 39, after hearing this man shout out at the top of his lungs, those who led the way, this crowd around him, rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They say, what, what are you doing? Why are you of all people trying to get an audience with Jesus? But he shouted all the more. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus, over here, over here. Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And finally... Despite the feelings of the crowd trying to shush him, trying to shoot him down, trying to say, who are you to get an audience with Jesus? Jesus stops. He has heard the man. And so in verse 40, Jesus stops and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? And very simply, I think very quietly in comparison to how he'd just been yelling, he just says, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. This man, after going through all that he's been through in life, the challenges, the struggles, the difficulties, the feelings of being outcast from society, in his one opportunity, in his chance to have this encounter with Jesus, the people around him, 
begin to shoot him down. Begin to tell him to be quiet. I think if we read into the story a little, they're saying, who are you? What gives you the right? And yet this man is not hindered, right? He shouts all the more. He says, Jesus, I, I know the crowd is telling me to be quiet, but I, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And he keeps shouting and shouting and shouting, and Jesus stops as the man brought to him, right? I think it brings us to our second description of what everyday faith looks like. Not letting our circumstances determine God's capacity. Not letting your circumstances determine God's capacity. So even after acknowledging where this man has been, when he has his chance, he is shot down. The people around him say, be quiet, stop yelling. Jesus doesn't want to hear from you. And if you haven't gone through this before, I truly believe that you will. Because friends, the world that we are living in is maybe increasingly more and more negatively feeling about Christianity. That Christianity isn't this societal norm that we were a part of. But all the more, maybe even our faith is being looked down upon. That we're going to face situations and going to be put in situations, maybe in our workplaces, with our friends, with our neighbors, in our schools, where if we say that we're a follower of Jesus, if we begin to live out of this everyday faith, that there are going to be times where people are saying, be quiet. Why are you talking about this? I think we need to push in to this boldness that this man is teaching us. To not let our circumstances, the opinions of others, the challenges that we may face, the difficulties, the hardships, perhaps even the persecution, not somebody negatively commenting on Facebook, but maybe real persecution, we can't let our circumstances of our life, the challenges, the difficulties that we face, limit and determine God's capacity. Because whether we think about it or not, that's what we do. Because when life is going well, when, when we're feeling it right, when faith is, is so evident, when we've just gone to that worship concert or that conference, and we've had that mountaintop experience, God can do anything, right? Right? But those moments are few and far between. So much more of our lives is challenges and difficulties and questions and doubts. Where we begin to see something happening and we wonder, God, where are you? I thought you could do everything, but where are you in this? Because what happens is when our circumstances get challenging, when people try to shoot us down, when the reality of our life doesn't it doesn't live up to what we think God can do, right? We have questions about God's capacity, God's ability. It's natural. But I think we can actually choose to have a faith that's different. I think God is calling us to have a faith that's different. A faith that holds the truth of what God has revealed about himself, that he is good, that he is trustworthy, that he is honest and just that he is control of all things, that we can still hold on to those truths, 
even when the reality of our life doesn't live up to that. And so you might be sitting there this morning or, or watching online, and you're saying, yeah, I, I, I want that. I want to not let the reality of my life determine what God can do, but it's hard. That is not an easy thing to do, Sawyer. How can I do that? Because when my life doesn't match up to what I think God was calling me to do, or when that diagnosis comes, or when you've been praying for a miracle over and over and over again, and it doesn't come, we get defeated, right? We begin to have questions. We begin to wonder if what we've been told about God is really true. And I think there's a huge misconception in the church about questions and doubts. Because I think what we've been told indirectly or sometimes explicitly, right, is that if we have questions or doubts, then our faith is failing us. And if you hear one thing this morning, hear this. That faith is the vehicle to bring us through our faiths and doubts. And it will actually strengthen our faith if we begin to push into our questions. If we begin to not push our doubts aside, but say, God, I need you in this. If we cry out in prayer time and time again. So don't feel like if you have questions or doubts, that that's the end of your faith. I think it's when your faith can really start to become real. Because imagine the alternative, right? For many of us, when difficulties come, when hardships come, when challenges come, we set our faith aside and we either turn to one of two things. Despair, or we try to just control things ourselves. Imagine what it would look like to trust in God enough to say, God, I don't know where you are in this. I have questions, I have doubts, I have confusions, but at the end of the day, I just am thankful that you're with me. And God, I can't seem to understand what you're going through, what you're doing in this, but God, I trust you. Because friends, if we do that, if we push boldly into God and say, God, I don't get this, God, I don't understand, but I want to and I trust you, I think lives could be transformed. I think our faith could be transformed. I love the way that Beth Moore puts it. She writes, Faith is not believing in my own unshakable belief. Faith is believing in an unshakable God when everything in me trembles and quakes. Our faith, our faith, this gift from God isn't up to us. We don't have to trust in our ability to believe, but we trust in a God who believes in us. We don't have to think our faith is falling short because we have a God that doesn't. Even when everything inside of us is trembling and quaking and we don't even know how to wake up the next day, we have a God who is unshakable. So don't let your circumstances, the difficulties of life especially, determine God's capacity. I've had the opportunity over the past month or so to actually be a part of um, two weddings. I got to officiate both of them, which is awesome. If you don't know what an officiate is, it's the person that stands at the front and actually marries the two people. 
And honestly, it is one of the most exciting things I get to do as a pastor. It's awesome to be able to walk a couple from their engagement and go through premarital counseling and really start to set them up for a lifetime together as a couple. But there's one thing that I don't like about weddings. Because at both of these weddings, for whatever reason, I don't know what what the prompt was, maybe it was the joy and celebration, at both of these weddings, there was a conga line. And if you're not familiar with a conga line, it's when one person is so exuberant or overjoyed, or maybe they've had a bit too much from the open bar, let's be honest, and they say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start this experience for everybody. This DJ hasn't been enough. The music hasn't been enough. I am going to get the party started. And they grab people around them, and they're walking around the dance floor. But the thing about conga lines is independent of your feeling about them, you have to join, right? It's an obligation because you're not going to be the one person there that's like, nope, not doing that because you're going to get roped in, right? And so at both of these weddings, there were conga lines. And I I did them both times. That's fine. I I, I wasn't going to be the person standing on the side. But I actually think this idea of a conga line, this person starting a full experience, being so overjoyed and celebratory that they can't let anybody miss out. It's actually a really good picture for our last description of everyday faith. And so what Jesus has done, he's asked, what do you want me to do? And the man responds simply, I want to see. And that's where we pick it up in verse 42. It says this, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And so immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And with all the people saw it, they also praised God. This man could have simply gone about his way, right? He has achieved his miracle. A day that started like any other day by being brought to the city gates, by begging for food, trying to get help from other people just so he can feed himself, right? has now radically transformed into something he would have never expected. Jesus just happens to be passing by, entering the city of Jericho. The crowd lets him know. He shouts out to Jesus. The crowd says, no, be quiet. He keeps shouting, keeps shouting, keeps shouting. And then Jesus stops. And in this very short interaction, right, Jesus says two sentences to him. What do you want me to do? And your faith has, excuse me, receive your sight Your faith has healed you. And in those two sentences, this guy's life has been flipped 180 degrees. His life has been radically transformed. We don't know if he's ever had his sight, but maybe for the first time, he is seeing the beauty of the world. If you've ever seen videos where people put on those glasses that allow colorblind people to see color, or when people get a cochlear implant and they can hear for the first time, and they're just so overcome, like they can't even say anything. They're just immediately brought to tears. Something that many of us get to experience every day, hearing and sight, brings them to a point of just astonishment. And in two sentences, this guy's life has been transformed. 
And he likely had many things to do. He wanted to go see the world. He wanted to maybe go to his family and friends and be like, I can see your face. I can see you. He wanted to go have a party probably, right? But what does he do? Immediately, he received his sight and he followed Jesus. This isn't just that he went with him for the day. He became one of his disciples. He became a follower of Jesus. And even more than that, he immediately is so overcome with emotion and joy, he starts praising God. This is a guy who was shouting at the top of his lung just for Jesus to hear him. Imagine what his praise looked like, right? He's probably dancing and singing and shouting and just overjoyed. This guy is the, card, is the kind of guy that would start a Congo line at the wedding, right? He would be so overcome with the celebration, the joy, that he would be like, you know what, this wedding needs a conga line, let's go. Because what happens? When the people all see this man's radical transformation and how he responds, they all start praising God. This crowd that has gathered these followers of Jesus, these merchants and traders and travelers at the city gate are now all praising God because of this one guy's transformation. And so our last description of everyday faith is this, is not letting your transformation end with you. Many of us maybe intentionally or oftentimes unintentionally say, hey, I'm in, who's in, that's me. I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to heaven. I, I said the prayer, I, I try to be a good person, right? I try to follow God. I try to crack open the Bible one and again or read it on my phone. I, I pray, right? Like I've done that. But one of the reasons that we're not immediately brought into heaven when we accept Jesus is for other people. It's to grow us to become more and more like Jesus in this life and to call others to do the same. Your transformation might be for you, but it doesn't end with you. Because we may not have been brought to sight, physical sight. But we have experienced, if we are a follower of Jesus, a transformation as equally as radical. As equally as transformative. Friends, if we are a follower of Jesus, if we have put our faith in the one true God of the universe then we have literally been brought from death to life. We have been brought from being enemies of God to his sons and daughters. We have been brought to trying to figure things out on our own and control things and falling short again and again and again to having a mission, to having a community, to having a family, and being part of the kingdom of God. And if that is all true, we need to be people that start conga lines. We need to be people that are praising, people that are so overjoyed and overcome by what God has done and is doing and will do that we start conga lines of praise and worship. That we are so overcome by saying, God, you have radically transformed my life. I can't imagine anything else but giving it back to you as a gift and calling others to do the same. And so this morning, yes, our faith is going to get us into heaven someday. But I think we are missing so, so much if we leave it for someday. 
Because this morning, through this simple, miraculous story of a simple interaction with Jesus, I think God is calling each of us to not let our faith end with us, to not let our circumstances determine the capacity of God, and to not let the position either put on us or how we see ourselves determine our progress. Because imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen if we say, God, I don't see you in this, but I'm going to follow you no matter what. Imagine what would happen if we didn't let the circumstances of our life, the difficulties, the challenges lead us to doubt and set our faith aside. What if we led, allowed those to lead us into a deeper faith, a complex faith, a faith that sees God as with us through the challenges? And imagine what would happen if just this church, just the people gathered in this room right now, and the people that are watching online said, I'm not going to let my transformation end with me. Yes, I'm going to get to heaven someday, but I want to bring as many people as I can with me. And so this morning, I want you to think about which one of those points you need to do the most. Maybe, maybe you're letting your position determine where God is calling you. And you say, God, I need to set that aside. I want to follow you and seek you every day. Maybe you're saying, God, I'm doubting, I'm struggling, I'm dealing with this hardship and challenge, and I don't know what the future holds, but I'm going to trust you anyway. And maybe this morning, God is putting someone on your heart. You're saying, I'm not going to let my transformation end with me. I'm going to do everything I can to start a conga line of praise in their life. And maybe lastly, if for the first time, you're saying, God, I, I walked into this room or I turned on this stream this morning and I, I was, thought I was just going to church and now I see, I see all that you've done for me, that you didn't leave me in a lack of control in my sin of living opposite to you, but maybe for the first time you're beginning to realize of the faith that God is calling you to. Maybe this could be the moment right now where you say, God, I'm ready to start a journey of faith that's gonna last the rest of my life. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to pray with me. So if we'd all bow our heads. God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you are a God of miracles. We thank you that you are a God who listens. A God who hears us. A God who isn't limited by the, the constructs that we put on you, God, but is so immeasurably more than we can imagine. So God, lead us to the action that you're calling us to. That we wouldn't just leave our faith for someday, but we would begin on this day to make our faith an everyday thing. This would be a moment that we can look back on and see the transformation that was starting right now. And God, for those that can hear my voice that are maybe for the first time realizing their need of that faith, they're saying, God, I've messed up, I've, I'm, I'm hurt, I need you. I feel like things are out of control. I want to experience that new life. I believe that you sent Jesus down to live the life that I couldn't, to die the death in my place. And God, I believe that you raised him three days later to change everything.
And if that's you this morning, go ahead and pray these words with me as we all read these words together. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive me. Save me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. I accept your gift of eternal life. And I receive your spirit. Help me to follow you and live out my faith every day. God, if there is somebody in this room right now, their lives have been changed. If they have prayed that prayer for the first time, they are part of a journey that's going to last the rest of their lives. That yes, they can look back on this moment right now and say, that's where my faith started. I still got a lot of way to go, God, to make their faith everyday thing. And so if you prayed that prayer for the first time with every eyes closed, God, that you would be bold enough to declare by raising your hand that you are now a follower of Jesus. God, we thank you for the work that you've been doing in our lives, for the lives that are being transformed right now. God, that you would call each of us to a deeper faith, to a fuller faith, to a faith that isn't on the back burner, but is lived out every day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And now if you would stand up as we praise together what God is doing, has done, and will do, let us declare our gratitude.